The coronavirus turned hospital hallways into ICU units and refrigerator trucks into morgues. The U.S. healthcare system was stretched to its very limits. But how else has the pandemic changed healthcare? I'm Luke Garrett. And I'm Loris Vitalniak. Patients and doctors moved in droves to online checkups and counseling sessions as the coronavirus set in. Anxiety and alcohol use also rose during the lockdown. This week, WTOP reporter Christy King walks us through how these health trends played out in hospitals here in the D.C. area. So telehealth rose steadily throughout the pandemic as patients and doctors sought to limit their in-person contact. So did this telehealth work? How did it really play out in the local community? It absolutely worked. Children's National, I'll use as an example, based in D.C., they have a partnership with 15 different centers all through the region, and they got this pile of money to advance this telehealth program that they'd had underway since 2015. And they have experts on so many specialities that typically somebody might have to travel hours to get to the hospital or to contact their expert. Now, instead, they are in their little regional medical center. They have the expert immediately right there available. So you have a sick kid who's in trouble and needs specialty care and they're a zillion miles away and getting rushed to the hospital. The expert who's 100 miles away can talk virtually with the regional center and the kid and the caregivers who are in the ambulance. Let me tell you how big this grew. From the beginning, they were doing 70 consultations a month. And now Children's National is doing 8,000 telemedicine visits a month. Whoa. Another example about the impact, it's like a flashback, 50 years. I mean, this whole idea of going to the doctor's office is a fairly new evolution. Doc came to see you, right? For example, MedStar, they had a half million home doctor visits virtually in the first eight months of the pandemic. I mean, they went from 270 video visits a month in February before the pandemic to during the height of the pandemic, they were doing 4,500 video visits a day. But what's that mean? You're talking to your doctor virtually from your house. Ma'am, what kind of medicine do you take? Oh, I've got all these bottles, I don't know. Okay, well, let's go to the bathroom and look at your medicine chest and tell me what all these different things are. You have that kind of intimacy of the personal care. And MedStar, after that first half million at-home visits, they did a survey. Mm -hmm. What do y'all think about it? How do you feel about it? Well, people were overwhelmingly satisfied with the results. And one of the doctors said that he cannot imagine people wanting to get back in their car, fight traffic, traffic, find parking, go to the office, spend half a day at the doctor's office for an appointment. Of course, it's not appropriate for everything. I mean, they still want to be able to take your blood pressure, but the things that they can do is just remarkable. And the opportunities are endless. It's a brave new world, and this is the direction we're heading. You obviously mentioned that more money was getting put into this as well. And part of the expansion was insurance companies broadened their coverage to actually include telehealth costs. Are insurance companies going to continue to cover this after the pandemic's done? That's a big question, and it's been posed. There are numbers of nonprofits and interested parties that have reached out to federal officials. There's even legislation. There are certain restrictions to telehealth 
previous that were loosened because of the pandemic, privacy concerns and stuff like that. And, and what do you charge? What are you allowed to charge? There are concerns about potential exploitation and overcharges. And it's still a very gray area because the loosening of the restrictions to telehealth are gone at the end of the year. And if there's not legislation, it's hard to discern what's going to happen, what insurance companies might do on their own, as opposed to being required through legislation or laws or rules. I know one sector of the medical world that was really impacted by telehealth was counseling, you know, because counseling, you really don't need that physical contact. You're speaking, you're really investigating the emotions of of the self, segueing from telehealth to, to mental health. The pandemic really was a weighty deal. People died, people got sick. The world was kind of turned upside down. How has the mental health world really been impacted by this pandemic? Talking about depression and anxiety, yes. Experts believe that depression and anxiety was worse. But but here's something that might surprise you. A Johns Hopkins researcher said, going in, we were so worried about the older generations, the senior citizens. They flourished. They might have gone from being isolated to now, with all of this virtual connectivity, they thrived. I did stories with Kaiser Permanente. They had dance parties. And you'd look at a screen, and there'd be 18 boxes, and we'd (laughs) zoom in on one box, and there's somebody in their living room dancing like crazy. And then you'd focus and zoom in on another box of the 18 people dancing, and it's a grandkid and a grandmother, and they're all partying (laughs) and having a good time. And the connectivity really helped the senior citizens blossom. Yeah, but for high school students not having a senior year, you're missing all the experiences. I know of a teenager, she was like top of her class, but the mom tells me about her really struggling with depression and anxiety during the year and just getting to that point. Numbers of psychologists have said that Yeah, we've got to get kids back in action. We have to get them Mm. back in the environments where they thrive for their social, for their emotional development, that it's very, very important. And what do you do about stress and anxiety and depression from two angles, from a personal level as a human, if you feel like you're struggling, you need to reach out. You need to talk about it. You need Mm. to ask people for help. And say how you're feeling and and what you're experiencing. But also, if you're on the other side and you think or suspect that somebody might be struggling, you might be the catalyst that gets them help. How are you doing? How are you feeling? And so many stories this year, mindfulness, being grounded, relaxation, and there are all these different apps that will teach you how to breathe and teach you how to experience the moment and be in the moment as much as even like you sit down quietly and scrunch your toes against the carpet and and notice what's in the room. There's the chair and there's the window and, and there's the wind on your face. Oh, don't even get me started on the whole exercise, the physiological connection between your brain and moving your body. Uh, Still didn't get me to do it. (laughs) Oh, you're not an (laughs) exerciser, Laura? (laughs) I appreciate you feigning shock, but no, contrary to just everyone's perception, I do not exercise. (laughs) But five minutes, feel the wind in your hair. Oh, and you're 100% right. 
Like, I know, but... All of the interviews that I did with the psychiatrist mm-hmm. have ruined my experience when I notice people in the world exercising or out enjoying nature with earbuds in their ears. It's like, mm-hmm. you're supposed to be listening to the birds, not whatever the heck is in your <laughs> electronics. I do wonder, mm-hmm. this pandemic gave mm-hmm. just this mass pause and existential reflection. Everyone just had to chill for a little bit because things were closed down and the weight of the pandemic was felt by everyone. So I wonder, and I'm curious, if after you know this pandemic really eases up, if conversations about mental health and just anxiety are a little bit more normalized. People are a little bit more comfortable, you know, talking about it. On a human person to person level, my opinion is that I think the message is starting to get out there. I mean, you have Mm -hmm. celebrities like a famous tennis player dropping out of a major tournament saying, I need to deal with my mental health. Right. Mm-hmm. You see commercials on TV of football players and football coaches saying we need to realize that this does not make us weak. This is mm-hmm. not a weakness, a problem. It's a health situation. It's it's like yeah, having yeah. diabetes. You know, it's something that you need to respect and give appropriate attention to and not brush it aside. I think that as a culture, there is a blossoming and an awakening that this is something that it's okay to talk about. You have athletes like Kevin Durant, one of the premier basketball players in the NBA. This is a guy who cries. He opens up. He says he has problems. He says he has questions. It is okay to be vulnerable and struggle. And he's a fine example. And Kevin Durant's uh, from Prince George's County, supporting the community, rebuilding rec centers and stuff like that. Mm. Medical professionals can often see a connection between people who are experiencing mental health issues and people who misuse alcohol. Since we've been seeing mental health issues on this broader scale, have doctors seen more issues with alcohol? Get a load of this. A study done by the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University found that the consultations for alcohol-related gastrointestinal issues and liver disease went through the roof, even though the number of people looking for consults was down almost 30%, 27% compared to the previous year. And then when they started loosening pandemic restrictions and people felt a little better and more at ease to go see the doctor. The numbers were up 80% for the people who were actually getting consults that ended up being liver disease or gastrointestinal issues. But that's not all, because the experts believe that those numbers don't represent everybody that's out there, because a lot of the times people who have problems, they don't go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. They don't end up in the hospital. So okay, we've got a problem. What do we do about it? One suggestion from the researcher at Brown University, he says, we have to normalize the discussion of alcohol. You know, you can't make somebody feel like they're being interrogated. Just make it part of the normal conversation. I mean, you go to the dentist and they check your blood pressure. That's just a normal number. We need to normalize Mm. the alcohol consumption, have that discussion with people. And, you know, there are all of these scales saying this is what is appropriate. And the particular researcher I did for this story He was saying the gauge of when you notice whether you're having an issue is whether it's interfering with your life, whether it's keeping you from doing things, whether you're putting stuff off or acting inappropriately. He said, ID these people sooner than later so they can get help. 
like we said, we all kind of experienced this collective trauma. But one group that was impacted disproportionately was healthcare professionals who didn't have the option to do their work remotely. So we were talking about nurses, ER doctors. What long term effects might this pandemic have caused, especially in the healthcare workers field? Some of the early observations were that during the midst of it, the incredible stress and strain of everything that healthcare professional was doing to try to assist their fellow man, being greeted by people who questioned science and facts and their motivations. It was so discouraging and so demoralizing. There were numbers of retirements. There were people leaving the profession. They were retiring early. It was too much. I mean, there were huge numbers of people dropping out. What I do know here locally, again, mentioning beginning with Children's National, let's end with Children's National. They have incoming class of residents. 51% of this incoming class identify with uh, underrepresented races and ethnicities. I mean, we're talking about Black, Latino, Southern Asian people, and that's three times the national average for diversity in residency programs. So there are people choosing the profession. There are people believing in the profession and believing in themselves, underrepresented people who may not have had opportunities before, but now assume the role of helping better humanity. This spring, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services extended the federal public health emergency, which required insurance to cover telehealth options for consumers. Experts believe the COVID-19 health emergency will last through the end of 2021. At this point, either lawmakers or insurance companies will have to determine whether virtual medical visits will continue to be covered. Professional tennis player Naomi Osaka withdrew from the French Open earlier this month to focus on her mental health. She initially said she would not take part in post-game media interviews, something the competition mandates, and was fined $15,000. If you or someone you know is struggling with depression or mental health, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. They provide free and confidential support 24 hours a day, in English and in Spanish. 800-273-8255. 800-273-8255. Today's episode was hosted and produced by me, Laura Spitalniak. And me, Lou Garrett. Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Locksbeat. Join us next Monday as the world reopens. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all the local shows that I like, all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Listen local with Podcast DC.